0: Last week we started a new series, a six-week series in the Psalms. And I mentioned that uh, one way you can categorize or divide the Psalms up is into three different categories. You have songs of praise, and songs of lament, and songs of thanksgiving. And songs of praise can be seen as songs of orientation. These are happy songs that convey to us Foundational truths about our God and about ourselves that orient our lives, that help us make sense of life. Songs of lament can be seen as songs of disorientation. This is the sorrow, the pain that we feel, that we experience when life doesn't make sense. And then we have songs of thanksgiving. They can be seen as songs of reorientation. The thanksgiving that we give to God for his faithfulness, his help in our times of trouble, when he he lifts our lives out of the pit. So in our six-week series, we plan to take two weeks in each category. So two songs of praise, two songs of lament, and two songs of thanksgiving. Today, we are on our second psalm of praise, Psalm 103. And in this psalm, David, one of the greatest kings of God's people in the Old Testament, he does what every single one of us does every day. He talks to himself. Now, Paul Tripp has said, No one talks to you more than you. That inner voice is going all the time. Tim Keller once said that our hearts, we may hear our hearts say about something that it's hopeless, but we ought to argue back with ourselves. And his point is this that the thoughts we tell ourselves, the, the words we speak to ourselves, are not always true. They're not they're not always good, they're not always right. And so we need to learn to instead of just listening to ourselves, we need to learn to proactively talk to ourselves. To speak words of truth, to speak words of life. And that's what David is doing in this psalm. In the first two verses he exhorts himself to bless the Lord or praise the Lord, and then the rest of the psalm, that's what he does. He does it. He, he talks to himself. And then at the end, he invites others to join in, including ourselves. He, enjoys, he, he invites all the angels, all the people of God, and all of creation to join him in blessing the Lord. This week I had the privilege to visit our brother Greg Brett's at Middletown Home. I'd encourage you to be praying for him. He longs to be with Jesus and his body is weak, but he is trusting in the Lord. But I had the privilege to sit with him and his wife Diane and one of her sisters and I read Psalm 103 it was on my mind I was preparing to preach and I read Psalm 103 and as soon as I finished his wife Diane spontaneously she just said it makes me want to sing it makes me want to enter into the psalm and that is the effect that this psalm has on the people of God it's the fact that I pray it will have on you today David starts this psalm bless the Lord O oh my soul and all All that is within me. So we praise the Lord, we bless the Lord, not only with our lips, but with our inmost being, with our soul. Our hearts join in. This praise resonates within us. So this psalm is meant to move you. It's meant to move you from the sidelines to the playing field. You're not a bystander, you're an active participant a member of the praising choir it is meant designed to move you in whatever way is appropriate to your personality so some might shout amen or sing loudly and others might do that in the quietness and privacy of their own hearts and minds but it's meant to move you now no matter how well i may preach this truth this good news it won't move you if you're dead And no matter how badly I may botch it, the Holy Spirit alive in you will work through his living word this morning. But I want to address this issue first. Because there's a condition, there's a qualifier to this praise. David is praising the Lord for all his benefits. In verse 2 he says, all his goodness to him. That's what he means when he says, forget not all his benefits. The goodness of the Lord. And these benefits... They come to the individual. That's why David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. So they they come to the individual, but they're not individualistic. They're not limited to the individual. David is a member of the community, the people of God, the covenant family that praises God together. So there's a qualifier. In order to be moved by this, in order to join in this praise, you must be included and the covenant people of God. You must be in covenant with God. Now in the Old Testament. When they made covenants. A covenant was it was like a promise. But more than a promise. One definition of a, a covenant is this. A bond in blood. Sovereignly administered. So this bond was not just in writing. It wasn't just a, a handshake. Or, or word of mouth. When a covenant was made. They would sacrifice an animal. Blood would be shed. There would be a death. It was this, a very vivid declaration. the, The parties would be saying, if I do not keep my end of the covenant, may I die like this animal. Well, God is the one who took the initiative to make a covenant with his people, to be our God, to do good to us. And he always keeps his end. He cannot do otherwise. He's a faithful God. He always keeps his word. Always, always, always. Never forget that. And we always fail to keep our end. We cannot live up to the standards of the covenant. We do not obey his law. And our failure to keep the covenant should end in our death. But God in his mercy keeps our end for us as well. He fulfills both sides of the agreement. He sends his own son, Jesus, to perfectly obey the law in our place. And then also to be the Lamb of God who sheds his blood on the cross to take away our sins. To die for our disobedience. So he is the sacrifice that is put to death in our place. And then... He welcomes us into his kingdom. He welcomes us into his covenant, his family, so long as we come on his terms. God is the one who made us. This is his world. He initiated the covenant, and so he sets the terms. And so to enter in and to be moved by this psalm of praise, you must cast yourself on his mercy. Trust in him. If you think... That you can fulfill your end without his mercy. If you think you can simply be welcomed into his kingdom because you are a good person. Then you are failing the terms of the covenant. You do not fear him. You don't honor him. You don't worship him or respect or trust him as he requires. The condition of this psalm, the condition of the covenant, is that we would admit our need. And we would cast ourselves upon his mercy. We would come humbly before him. The condition is death to our pride and to our self righteousness. This is what it means when verse 11 says, his steadfast love or his covenant love is great towards those who fear him. Not towards everyone, towards those who fear him. And then verse 18, those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Well, how do we do that? At the most basic level, We remember the words of Jesus, when Jesus came, he called us to repent and believe the good news, to admit our need and trust in his provision. So if, beloved, you accept his terms, you will be forgiven and you will be welcomed in and this psalm will orient your life around praise to God and it will move you this morning. But if you reject him, if you reject his terms, then his just wrath remains on you. And you will miss the joy of knowing his steadfast love. And this psalm will have no effect on you, but it will only increase your condemnation and your guilt. One of the most precious words of the New Testament, John three sixteen, is a a passage many people know, even if they don't attend a church at all. But in John three sixteen, we are told, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe... Is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So, this is important that we address this issue right up front, right here, right now. Your life can be changed forever. You can go from death to life and you can join in the song of this psalm, this song of praise to God. But the first question to consider is this Are you today in the covenant? Are you in the family? Are you indeed a child of God? If not, God invites you to become one right now. To repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you do, or if you have done that, then the response is, Bless the Lord, O your soul, and all that is within you. Bless his holy name. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to bless the Lord or to praise the Lord? You've heard I've been using those terms interchangeably this morning. To bless the Lord means to praise God for who he is and to thank him for what he has done. It is to believe who God is and to trust in what he has done. It is to rejoice and delight in who God is and to marvel at what he has done. It's not simply to know it. To be able to write down the right answers on a question. Who is God? What has he done? It's not just to know it. It's to rejoice in it. To delight in it. To marvel at it. And to orient your life around those incredible truths. Your, your life around who God is and what he has done. So there's two aspects to this praising of the Lord. It revolves around who God is and what he has done. And we see both in this psalm. So we start with who God is. He is sovereign over all, and he is a God of steadfast love. He is sovereign over all. Now David brackets his discussion of the love of God with a proclamation of God's universal dominion. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. This is God's universal care for those in need. His love for the downtrodden. And there is no one and nothing that can stop him from expressing this love and this care. And then verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. And his kingdom rules over all. This is God's rule and reign over everyone and everything. Without exception. And in this context. It's in this context. This, this big picture setting of God's universal sovereignty, his reign over all, it's here that David proclaims, this Lord, the sovereign Lord, who reigns over everyone and everything, it is this Lord who cares for you. His love for his people goes on forever. So God's care and his sovereignty illumine and undergird his love and it calls forth our praise it's who God is that moves us to respond in praise and blessing to our God so God rules over all and his steadfast love endures forever he is a God of steadfast love and that really is the theme of this psalm so this is where we'll spend most of our time this morning but to praise God for his love David remembers. Remember, forget not all his benefits. Remember his goodness. So to praise God for his love, he remembers. He considers who God is and what he has done. And he thinks back to a foundational moment in the covenant. In God's revelation of himself to his people. To that moment in Exodus 34 where the prophet Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory. He wants to behold the glory of God of his creator which is the desire of all God's people so he asked God show me your glory and exodus 34 God responds the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation Moses knows those words he meditates on those words and David reflects on them he he remembers that and he remembers the context for that glorious revelation Exodus chapter 34 God has already given the law Exodus Chapter 20, so 14 chapters earlier, God had given the Ten Commandments. He had given the law, the law that describes the requirements that we have if we want to be in covenant with God. And as he's already given the law, his people have already broken it. They have worshipped idols. Remember, Aaron makes that golden calf and they bow down and they say, this is our God who delivered us from oppression. So while God is giving the law, his people are breaking the law, and yet God is merciful and gracious. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. David remembers this. And so he says verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And then he repeats that proclamation, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, And abounding in steadfast love. And he mentions this steadfast love of God four times in this psalm. Starts out in verse 4. He crowns you. Or he he surrounds his people with steadfast love. Verse 8. The Lord is abounding in steadfast love. Verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. He's saying, this love is so great, it's immeasurable. It has no limits. You cannot contain it. You can't fathom it. It is greater than you can imagine. And then verse 17. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. So this love, if you go behind you forever, if you go in front of you forever, What will you find as a child of God? You will find God's steadfast love. It always has been and it always will be. God's children are never out of his love. They are always in his loving hands, under his loving care. There is nothing, Paul says in Romans 8, there's nothing that can ever separate you from the love of God. This is, beloved, an eternal love. In contrast to the brevity of our lives. Did you catch that contrast in the psalm? So our lives, like the flowers of the field, they quickly pass. They are soon forgotten. But in contrast, God's steadfast love remains forever. This is unlike any human love you have ever known. It does not wax and wane. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. It is not greater on some days and lesser on other days. You might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Roy. Are you saying that God loves me no matter what? Are you telling me that God's love for me remains constant, unchanging, even on the days and the times when I doubt, when I don't feel like praising him? When I am not moved by his word. When I don't go to church. When I don't obey his commands. When I fail him again and again and again. In those seasons of lament. Is that what you're telling me? No, that's not what I'm telling you. That's what God Almighty is telling you. Through his word and by his son. In fact... On those days, on your worst days, on your hardest days, this almighty sovereign God wants his children to know, he wants you to know today that he loves you just as much as he loves his own beloved son, Jesus Christ. And beloved, you will not find that love, that acceptance, that hope anywhere else. And you struggle to believe it. You struggle to believe it, don't you? We all do. We all struggle to truly accept and embrace and trust in this love. And when we do, God says, look to the cross. Look to the cross and consider my son. Let his work, his death on the cross assure you of my steadfast love. And when we doubt it, he gives us the Lord's Supper. That we can enjoy every week. And it's not simply a visible display that this love is true. It's not simply a reminder. As we partake by faith, God truly and really works in it to assure us of his love. And to deepen our trust in him. But beloved, this love, this this love and no other, this steadfast love of the Lord, it will change your life. It and only this love can free you from guilt and shame. The steadfast love of the Lord is the only thing that can truly address the guilt and shame of your life and your heart. That and that alone. It and only it can take you off, knock you off the performance treadmill that goes on forever. The steadfast love of the Lord is the only love that can free you to truly love others regardless of how they respond to you. You know we talk about maybe you've heard this phrase before um 711 songs we talk about modern praise songs the 711 songs seven words repeated 11 times you know it's a, it's a phrase that let's be honest it's a phrase that presbyterians use because we think we do it better than everybody else so we use that phrase to criticize these modern songs but listen beloved Let's rebuke ourselves a little bit. If you read, if, if we would sing Psalm 136, a song that God wrote, right? Because this is God's word. If we would sing Psalm 136, we would sing the words, his steadfast love endures forever. Five words, we would sing them 26 times. 26 times. Would we get bored? repeating it. Would we get tired? Would we think, couldn't they think of other lyrics? Or would we slow down enough to allow ourselves to meditate on that amazing, wondrous truth? And would it move us to bless the Lord, oh my soul? That is the theme of this psalm. It's the theme of our praise to God. The steadfast love of the Lord moves us to bless the Lord. God's people bless and praise Him for who He is. He indeed is sovereign over all, and He is a God of steadfast love. And we also praise Him and bless Him for what He has done. Verse 2, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. That word benefits, it's talking about all his goodness to us. So, another way to say that would be to say, remember. Remember his goodness. And the first thing he lists this is amazing. You, you read this and you should just stop and be amazed. How can this be true? Forget not all his benefits, remember all his goodness. He forgives. After all our hands have wrought, he forgives. He forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Now this is Hebrew poetry, and Hebrew poetry doesn't work the way ours does, right? Uh, We think poetry today is the words all rhyme, right? The end. if If they don't rhyme, at least unless you're a true poet, I guess you know better than that. But that's not the only way to do poetry. So in Hebrew poetry, it's not the words that rhyme in the couplets here; it's the ideas. So the idea is repeated. So a lot of people, when they read this, they say, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, they see that healing of diseases referring to a spiritual sickness, the sickness of our soul. It's just another way of expressing the forgiveness of our sins. That may be true, it is probably true, and we'll talk mostly about that this morning. It's certainly the theme of this psalm, but it also could be addressing the two big areas of need in our lives that we need deliverance from, both sin and suffering both sin and suffering. And God alone is the one who redeems our lives from these pits. And he has done it, beloved, by sending again his own son. He could not send anything more valuable, more precious to him. He sends his own son. He comes, God, in the flesh to enter into our pit of sin and suffering and take it upon himself. He takes on flesh and he dies in our place. So we praise the Lord. We bless him for his comfort and his care, the ultimate deliverance that only he can bring from sin and from all physical suffering. But let's take a look at how this psalm highlights the forgiveness of our sins. And we'll meditate on this for the rest of our time this morning. Take a look at this. It's what David first mentions after he says, forget not all his benefits. Remember all the things, all the good things the Lord has done for you. Then first, who forgives all your iniquity. And then verse 10, he goes into a further description of what he means by this. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Beloved, God does not give us what we deserve. Amen. God does not give us what we deserve. Remember that, beloved. How merciful, how gracious the Lord has been to you. He does not deal with you according to your sins. Your sins... I have here, they may be many. I should scratch that out. Your sins are many. Your sins are many, but his mercy is always more. Always. Do you know who knew this truth? Who rejoiced in this glorious truth? Who was moved by it? He does not deal with me according to my sins. David. David knew that. David who wrote this psalm. He knew it. He experienced it. He rejoiced in it. You think about his life if he was a pastor in our day and age and did some of the things that he did, he would be deposed from ministry and rightfully so. He wouldn't be able to be a pastor anymore. He lorded his authority over a vulnerable woman. He was guilty of abuse. He murdered her husband. But then, when God mercifully confronted him with his sin, he sent the prophet Nathan. David deserved death and damnation. But he sent the prophet Nathan to him. And he confronted him over his sin. And David repented. And you can read about that in Psalm 51. But David has written other great psalms on confession. Psalm 25. Psalm 32. He did not hide his iniquity. He brought it to the Lord. The only one. That could heal him. The only one that could forgive him. And so David knew. You can, you can picture him writing these words. <laughs> and he's, okay, not everybody has the same personality. But I cannot picture David just, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I can't picture him doing that. When, he, when what he's been through, and he knows deep down in his soul, he came to the Lord and he knew the wonder of God's undeserved mercy, the forgiveness of his sins. You know who else knew it? Moses. So David mentions Moses. Moses murdered an Egyptian and fled for his life. And then when God is using Moses to lead his people out of slavery, Moses wants the glory that belongs to God alone for himself. He didn't deserve the mercy of God, but God did not deal with Moses according to his sins. Moses knows this truth. Peter, Peter whose life should have been defined by the rooster and his denial of his Savior Jesus, but instead was restored by the risen Christ himself, he knew and rejoiced in this truth. Paul, Paul when he was thrown to the ground as a persecutor of the followers of Christ, and he was raised up as a preacher of the unsearchable riches of Christ, he would call himself the foremost of sinners. He knew that he had received mercy according to this psalm, that God does not deal with us according to our sins. How much time do I have? you know who knows this and believes it beloved who reads verse 10 he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities who reads that and rejoices in the amazing grace of God amen every single one of God's children when you read that verse and you know what God has done for your soul it's It's starting to move you. It's starting to move you. Every single one of God's blood-bought children. Beloved, you know this to be true. If you do, you bless the Lord. Amen? Your sin, oh, the bliss, the happiness, the joy, the wonder, the amazement. Your sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Your sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross Beloved, you bear it no more. You bear it no more. Do not let your enemy weigh you down in shame and guilt. Listen to your creator, your savior. You bear it no more. It is gone. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. There's that phrase from Psalm 103 in that hymn that we love. So verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Verse 12, David's not done. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now think of this image, and let it sink in. What is God communicating to us, his precious children? The east from the west, right? There cannot be a further distance. It's a never-ending distance. Distance. you put your sins on the scapegoat and you you send him packing east while you go off and you ride off into the west and you'll never meet again your sins are behind you they will never find you now there's another way to consider this or, or think of this image however many miles might lie between the east and the west one pastor says the point is you can't look in both ways at the same time you have to turn your back on one to look in the other so you can't look in both directions at one time so when god forgives forgives us he puts our sin and he puts us on different horizons and when he looks at our sin he cannot be looking at us and when he looks at us he is not looking at our sin beloved because he's justified us through the redeeming work of his son so now when he looks at you He sees Jesus. The beauty, the glory, the righteousness of his own son. Verse 6, David writes, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Now it is absolutely true, God cares for those who are suffering. He cares for those who are mistreated and he will bring justice in the final day. But even here, David follows that up with an example. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. God did deliver his people from oppression. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Now God does not always deliver in this way in this present life. But here we see his heart. We see his character. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And so we praise him. We praise him not only with our lips, but his children. We long to be like him. And so we praise him with our lives. Lives that pursue justice on behalf of others as we are able to. That is all true. And we could spend more time considering that as followers of Jesus. We can certainly grow in that. But as we think about the theme of this psalm, I rejoice to know that God the Lord has and he will deliver all his people from the greatest oppression we face. The oppression of sin. The oppression of sin, beloved. Romans 6 talks about this. It says that we were all once slaves of sin. That's the language of oppression. We were all once slaves of sin. We were under the oppression of the devil. And at the end of that passage, Paul will write, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. The end of oppression to sin and the devil is death. Beloved, there is no one who can deliver you from the oppression of sin and death except for Jesus. There's no one. There is no army powerful enough. There is no government program, no parent, no friend, no one but Jesus himself. He is the one who knew no sin But became sin for you. He is the one who has been raised from dead and who will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Nor does it have dominion over any who will trust in Jesus. Who are united to him now in his death and his resurrection. So he, Jesus alone, has redeemed your life from the pit. He's raised you to eternal life. He has delivered you from oppression already. Beloved, bless the Lord, for he has delivered you from the oppression of sin. He set you free, and you have passed from death into life. So you, today, right now, you enjoy eternal life in fellowship with this glorious triune God that David is praising in Psalm 103. And beloved, that fellowship will never end. It will never end, though you die Yet shall you live. I have recently been enjoying an old gospel song. Uh, it's called Someday. I don't know if any of you know it at all. Uh, and I, I, but I want to read the lyrics for you this morning. Now I know it won't move you in the same way. Music is very powerful. But the truths that it, it contains are such an encouragement to us. As those who trust in Jesus. We're members of the covenant family and we are recipients of the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever and we already have been brought from death to life. So it's called Someday. Someday when my last line is written. Someday when I draw my last breath. When my last words on earth have been spoken and my lips are sealed in death. Don't look on my cold form in pity. Don't think of me as one dead. It'll just be the house I once lived in. My spirit by then will have fled. I'll have finished my time here allotted, but I won't be in darkness alone. I will have heard from heaven the summons to come home. What a beautiful picture that is. And when my body is in the grave, don't think that I'll be there. I won't be dead, but living. And the place Jesus went to prepare. And after all is said and done. Know that my last earnest prayer. Is that my loved ones be ready. Someday to meet me there. Amen. Friend are you ready to meet the Lord? Have you been moved. By this psalm of praise. To bless the Lord O oh my soul. And all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David is saying, remember, remember the goodness of God to you. Will you remember today his goodness to you? Now one great way to remember is to talk to yourself. You do it all the time. You talk to yourself all the time. You might as well tell yourself things that are true right you might as well tell yourself things that are true if you're going to talk to yourself might as well speak the truth and you might as well speak the greatest truths there are the goodness of god so that's one great way one great way to remember is to talk to yourself another great way is to talk to others that's how we remember things right they say the the greatest way to learn something is to teach somebody else so talk to others so i just ask Do the people who are close to you especially, family, friends, do they know about God's goodness in your life? Do they know how God brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Have they heard that story? If not, today's a great day to tell them. Do they know? Have you told others? Will you tell others? Will you ask others? Do you know each other's story? That is a great after church question. How did you come to know the Lord? much more interesting than the heat and the humidity how did you come to know the Lord so here's a great question for you to ask today or any day after gather worship how has the Lord been good to you this week what are you praising God for today what great things has God done for you and then point one another to that great coming day and we I should say this, we we are in the psalm of praise today. Remember, they're happy songs. they're, They're songs of orientation. Happy songs with no trouble in view. So it's teaching us foundational truths about God and ourselves to orient our lives around. But we recognize they're not the only songs we sing. So today, maybe you're in a happy song period of life. But someone else might be in a lament period of life. And so it might be hard, you know, not everybody's ready to answer that question with joy. So we can ask those questions with humility, with compassion, recognizing that we're all at different stages and we all have different personalities. But it's those truths that lift us up out of those pits when we share the goodness of God and we point each other to that coming day when we will join with all creation. We'll join with the hosts of heaven in praising God as David called out to end the psalm, bless the Lord. O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Amen.